Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are now listening to... Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane here with my good buddy Rich Hill, here to recap the week that was in the NFL. Week two was in the books, and something weird happened this past week, Rich Hill. Um, the Patriots lost the game and no one's really upset about it. There's no, <laughs> there's no Patriots are done articles. There's no, there's rift in the locker room articles. The Patriots lost a road game to a very good NFC opponent and people seem pretty happy about it. And that's a very weird feeling if you're a Patriots fan of the past 20 years or so. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a new feeling. Uh, there, there's probably only a few games over the past decade where the Patriots have lost and you've been like, you know what? They gave it the good old college try. You know, the only thing that I can think of was the game against the Packers back in 2014 when it was, like, the second of a back-to-back, and, like, it was, like, a really good Aaron Rodgers versus Brady game. Rodgers was just making some passes that you have to tip your hat to in the same way that Russell Wilson was. And you know what? That's the game of football. Sometimes they make five impossible-to-stop catches, and that's the end of the game. And, like, I think part of it is that you can look around the league and see that, you know, Things are still as good as they were before. You know, the the Falcons are still absolutely heartbreakers. The the Bills have a lot of early season hope that is short of fate as the season wears on. And so, you know, the Patriots are in good standing. They have a franchise quarterback. And, you know, there's not too much reason to panic. There is not. There wouldn't be even if they were 0-2 right now or 2-0. Like we said early on, Rich, this is still the preseason. The Patriots are still figuring things out, but what really makes me happy is the disparity, the positive disparity between what we saw from the passing game week one versus week two, the complete flipping of the playbook, the expansion of the playbook, getting more receivers involved, uh, very, very good things to take away from that game. Before we get too deep into Patriots Seahawks, are there any other games that happened in week two that you want to touch on real quick before we jump into it? Oh, we would be remiss to do this podcast without talking about that Atlanta Falcons. Absolute. <laughs> destroying themselves against the Dallas Cowboys. Tell me if you've heard this story before, though, Alec. The the, the Falcons, uh, you know, partway through the, the, you know, at halftime, were up 29 to 10. Uh, With eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, they were up 39 to 24. Alec, what do you think happened at the end of this game? Well, I mean, there's probably a stat out there saying at one point they had a 99.9% win probability. And so they've already blown their 99.9% win probability against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So I don't think it's 
legally or statistically or physically possible for a team to blow two 99% win possibilities in the span of five years. It just doesn't happen. So they won, of course. Oh, yeah, naturally. Unless, of course, you talk to any Atlanta sports fan and they'll just say, well, yeah, obviously they were going to lose that game. <laughs> obviously. Uh, this game had one of the worst special teams plays I've ever seen, honestly. And this is coming from someone who watched that Indianapolis Colts fake punt against the Patriots a few years back, which, you know, holds the title in my book for just the most ridiculous one. The Atlanta Falcons decided to not even try to recover an onside kick. And the Cowboys got it. Is it just you? If you haven't seen it, highly recommend anyone who's listening to go just Google Dallas Cowboys onside kick. It's worth your time because you'll just be dumbfounded by what a horrible job of coaching this Atlanta Falcons team has. Because that's like special teams 101, and they just missed it. And then, of course, of course, of course, the Cowboys came back to win that game. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they were literally Falcons just standing around waiting for the ball to travel 10 yards as if they literally didn't know the receiving teams allowed to touch the ball at any point. It's the Cowboys, the kicking team who have to wait 10 yards. That is 100% on the coaching. You hear about the Patriots practicing situational football. They'll do onside kick drills. They'll do fumble rooski drills. They will prepare for moments like this in games. Um, if you're a Falcons fan, it's like you're just kind of waiting around and at no point is any lead safe. You could be up by 10 points with two seconds left, and you'll probably still find a way to lose, and that stinks. <laughs> but you know what? It worked out for us a couple years ago in the Super Bowl, so can't be too upset about it. Yeah. Uh, no. How about the uh, how about the Bills-Dolphins game? Did you check that game at all? The Dolphins got kind of spanked around by the Patriots in week one. They were within a field goal beating the Bills in week two. Any takeaways from that game in the AFC East? Yeah, I mean, I think there's – a couple points to like here or just to to discuss one is that uh i think the dolphins are better than their own two records suggests and on the other hand i think that the bills are definitely going to be in the running for the afc east title josh allen appears to have uh potentially turned a corner as a quarterback you know three years into his career he's taken another step forward it seems like and i believe in my book the acquisition they made for stefan diggs really helped it so i don't know necessarily how much is josh allen progressing as a player versus stefan diggs just being one of the best receivers in the league but when you have diggs you have john brown you have cole beasley as your top three targets you're going to have a great time throwing the ball Allen's making the throws that they're asking him to make. Brian Dable's doing a great job drawing up an offense that makes the Bills very efficient. But Josh Allen right now, from a statistical standpoint, top three quarterback in the league, along with Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. So it'll be very curious to me to see if Allen's able to sustain this level, because if this is the new Josh Allen and if this is who he truly is, then this Bills team is going to be you know, competing with the, the Chiefs and the Ravens for the AFC title, because that's how good he's been playing. And it's funny, the Bills don't play the Patriots until November 1st of this year. Very late games, uh, physically speaking, historically speaking, when these teams meet up. So a lot can happen between now and then. And I agree, there's definitely a chance. We've seen this kind of slowly building over the past couple of seasons where Patriots versus Bills, usually that game ends up more or less clinching an AFC East for the Patriots. And maybe this is a year where the, the, the legal finally get their way. And that week 16 game, should the season last that long, Bills at Patriots Monday night will be for the AFC East Championship. They've kind of been trying to set that up for a couple seasons now. In the past, have spoiled them by being done with the division in week 13 or so. So we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, I mean, I think you, you made a good point about Josh Allen and, and Russell Wilson, which is a, a good as transition as any into the Patriots-Seahawks game. 
Look, man, I think I am not alone in thinking the Patriots are going to lose this game before it even started. I think in our last podcast, I predicted like a 31 to 17 kind of shellacking by the Seahawks. And the Patriots hung in there. They made some great plays. The offense looked solid. The running game and the passing game looked very balanced. The defense got gashed a little bit, but I think Russell Wilson's probably a top two quarterback in the league and the best deep ball thrower in the league. And three of his touchdowns were just ridiculous plays. And so while you never want to lose, as far as losses go, this is the best one I've been part of in a long time. Oh, totally. I mean, there's so many plays where you just tip your cap to the Seahawks where you're just like, what are you supposed to do with that? You know, that touchdown to DK Metcalf, that was over Stephon Gilmore. It's just like Gilmore had absolutely perfect coverage. He got his hand and arm into the middle of his basket. And like 99 times out of 100, he would knock that ball away. But Metcalf was just like, I got this ball. I'm going to shrug you off. And I'm going to walk into the end zone. And you're like, you know what? That happens. And then you have uh, the Moore touchdown that was over Jason McCourty, where he caught it by the front pylon. And he somehow, somehow pirouetted midair. I don't know. It was a video game move where he jumped and twisted and contorted himself in the middle of the air. Shouldn't have been physically possible, but got his second foot down in the end zone. Unbelievable. And it's just like, what are you supposed to do with that? Sure, sure, sure. That's a touchdown. Have fun. Have fun with that. That is a touchdown. <laughs> and like that's what it felt like multiple times when the Seahawks were on offense. And what really made me excited about this Patriots team is how they hung in there and how this Patriots offense went toe-to-toe with them. No, I agree with that completely. The offense going toe-to-toe with the Seahawks is one of the, my personal focal points of, of this podcast because that's what we were all looking to see develop from week one to week two. We're still not sure what we were getting out of Cam Newton. I think he answered at least a lot of preliminary questions that we may have had about him. But before we do switch to the, uh, the offense, I focus mainly on that because, again, Russell Wilson's going to do Russell Wilson things, and, and that's just the way it is. Uh, I want to ask you about the Seattle rushing attack against the Patriots rushing defense. Uh, Seattle rushed for 152, four yards total. Mm-hmm. Uh, no running back average, less than four yards a carry. I saw a lot of second movements. I saw a lot of guys falling forward, a lot of shoddy tackling, which I think will attribute a lot of that, or at least a good chunk of that, to a lack of practices, a lack of contact. You're seeing it all across the league, so I don't want to get too reactionary. But 154 yards on the ground, the minimum average is 4.2 yards a carry. Any initial concern from the front seven being able to stop the run? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if it's more concerned than I normally am in other years because first off Carson's a very good running back you know he he's not like the best in the league but he's you know probably a top 10 running back if I had to to make a ranking and so he's he's a good guy he's gonna get his then you have Russell Wilson who's a mobile quarterback so that puts more stress on the Patriots defense you know we talked about how the Patriots would have to put a spy on him during the game to make sure Russell Wilson wouldn't leak out. He did have a lot of success with doing that. The Patriots were unable to contain him. And what happened with Carson is that he had a lot of yardage from bouncing to the outside. You know, he'd run up the middle, Patriots linebackers would commit, and the running back would go to the outside because there was just wide open spaces. And we've seen teams have success do that, doing that against the Patriots in the past. When you have a, a younger linebacker like Bentley, who doesn't have that same sort of experience, as you know, a Dante Hightower who can be a little bit more controlled. 
they're going to have some success running the ball. And sure, definitely early season, they're learning how to kind of structure themselves because this is a brand new Patriots defense where they have five defensive linemen, they have one linebacker, and then five defensive backs. They're doing the 5-1-5 defense that we talked about prior to the season because they just don't have linebacker depth. And so Bentley's going to get a little bit better. He's going to improve. And honestly, his play reminds me a little bit of early career Landon Roberts with more upside. You know, with how Roberts would like over pursue into the the gaps against the run in the first few years of his career and then something happened where it just clicked for him in year three year four where he's like oh i don't have to do that and then he became a much better player i think we'll see that from bentley later in the year as he settles into his position and so yeah definitely the lack of preseason hurt this um but i'm not too concerned in the, with the uh overall patriots run defense i'm glad to hear that <clears throat> i'm actually pretty happy about I'm not sure how much you got to look or keep a pay attention to Kyle Duggar, mm. but uh, I thought he had a great game in his second start ever. Again, I think a big concern for Duggar for a lot of people was that he played the D2 school. He was a big fish in a small pond, a huge fish in a small pond. And would he be able to make that jump in terms of the competition level, the elite athleticism that you see in D1 schools into the NFL? That's a huge jump. So going from D2 to the NFL is an even bigger leap. But I think he had our six, seven tackles, including four t- uh, solo tackles. He's pretty dominant as that linebacker safety hybrid spot. Blue yep. plays in the backfield, very instinctive. Uh, very pleased with what I've seen him so far. Yeah, totally. I mean, he reminds me a little bit of Jimmy Collins a little bit when he was yeah. out there, how much he was thumping those offensive linemen and driving them back. Uh, I was shocked. I was shocked by that. Clearly, he has a long way to go as a player just because, uh, you know, he's young. He's developing. He wasn't targeted too much. I believe he was just targeted twice. Um, but I, I think as he continues to evolve as a player, I think that linebacker safety role is great for him. And as the Patriots don't have linebacker depth, he's going to have opportunities to stay on the field. And both he and Phillips, so both Duggar and Phillips, they're going to be playing with McCourty as those three safeties. But we'll have plenty of opportunities to continue to, to grow as a player, to continue to make those head-turning plays. And honestly, I, I think that this was just a great, great start from him. For sure. And going up against Russell Wilson, which is one of the more unique skill sets you're going to see as a defensive player, was a really nice trial by fire. And I think he did a very good job in limited action as a rookie. Looking forward to seeing him develop. But again, like you said, man, the defense got gashed on some big plays, some Russell Wilson magic. That's what he gets paid for. Let Russ cook has been a slogan. They've been yelling out of Seattle for a long time. He's been doing that. Hit your cap. What a joy to watch Russell Wilson is. Big fan of his play, and congratulations to them. Uh, on The big story, though, I really do think is just how much the offense has progressed in yep. two weeks. Uh, I know it was game plan specific. I know they wanted to ease things into things last week with the Miami Dolphins not being that good and being able to call out of design runs for Cam Newton and limiting the receivers. But, I mean, Newton threw for almost 400 yards. Yep. He threw, four, I think, 44 pass attempts. Completed 30 of them. Uh, I think that his one interception wasn't as much on him as it was on the receiver. Uh, Bird, I think, rounded off his route a little bit. It wasn't a great throw, but it wasn't a horrible decision by his part. I don't think he ran. I think his, of his designed runs, I think maybe four of them were actual QB uh, calls. A number of the rest were all kind of scrambled, extending the play. Really, really happy with what I saw so far out of the Patriots in this limited offensive uh, performance these past two weeks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right. You, Julian Edelman, career high in receiving yards, 179 on eight yeah. catches. He was catching passes up the seam in ways that, honestly, uh, we rarely saw with, with Brady. And I, I think that this is going to open up the entire offense. And, I mean, there's so many players to highlight here. Nikhil Harry, 
for the first half of the game, first three quarters of the game, it seemed like the Patriots were resigned to using Harry how he, they used him in the you know first week, used him last year, which is like we're going to use you on a screen and hopefully you'll get like six yards here. And he was one of the most inefficient receivers in the entire NFL, if not NFL history, according to the numbers. And then in that fourth quarter, uh, Cam Newton was like, "I'm going to find you, Nikhil Harry." On incredibly important plays and on that hurry up offense which i think hopefully highlights how they might use harry for the rest of the year he were finding him in that intermediate space he was catching huge passes in that 10 to 15 10 to 20 yard range and he was making those catches i think he had three catches for you know 40 yards on that final drive by the patriots and i really hope that that opens up the door for him to continue to grow as a player to grow with his opportunities because he's more effective when he's attacking multiple levels of that defense. And so I loved what we saw from him. I loved the development we saw from Bird, who has been leading the Patriots receivers in snaps over the first two games. Zero, zero catches in that opening week, but he had six for 72. Looked very reliable, although he did have that poorly run route that led to that interception. But, you know, if he is that wide receiver three behind Edelman and Harry, the Patriots offense is in a pretty good spot from a passing day. It is, especially since, like we said, Newton was a pocket passer on Sunday night. You really can't call anything else. There was very – not very limited. There was limited RPO. He was in the pocket. He was making decisions. He was going, progressing his reads. There were times where he hit his third guy. Uh, it's it's a Newton – again, it's been a long time since we I've really seen him light up the field. It's been almost five years since he's really dominated. But from the, the Newton I remember, I, I, I think he looked as polished, if not more polished, in his Patriots week, second week than he has through most of his career as a Panther, which is remarkable to think about. Oh, totally. And I, I think there was a, a question that was posed to Bill Belichick about Cam's progress as a player this past week. And he, he mentioned how Cam's uh, passing technique has improved. You know, And I think it's very evident how much more compact his throwing motion is now versus how it was earlier in his career, where he is taking much less time with his wind up and release which makes it easier for the receivers it makes it harder for the defense and I think it's going to make him a more productive player as he's you know the Patriots are going to be more judicious on how they use his rushing ability Um, but yeah I I think he has shown you know he can win on his legs in the opening week he can win with his arm in the second week it's going to put so much stress on opposing defenses and I think you know the defense will figure itself out that was just some bad luck against the Seahawks and if Cam can continue to be this dynamic of a player this Patriots team can go toe-to-toe with any team in the league. No, it, it seems like it. You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and crown them AFC championships. There's, there's some very strong teams in Baltimore and Kansas City. I'll even put Houston up there. The Bills are up and coming. We talked about earlier in the podcast. But, no, by this time last year, I think we were like, the Patriots' defense is awesome. We're not really sure about the, the offense right now. They're still figuring themselves out. I mean, I, I'd almost put them ahead of where they were last year, which is really, really nice. And, again, we, are, we came into the season with no idea what to expect for so many reasons. And if you are a Patriots fan whose expectations have not been exceeded, uh, I kindly invite you to take a step back and just enjoy what we're seeing because it, it's pretty awesome. However, I would not be who I am if I didn't turn in the punch bullet every once in a while. And I'd love to ask you your thoughts, Rich, on the running game, mm. specifically Sony Michelle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we before the season started, we figured this is Sony Michelle's chance to really step up as that lead back. They're going to be running the ball a lot, especially early on as Cam figures out the playbook. This is his chance to shine. He's got Jakob Johnson as a fullback who's really coming into his own. He's still developing, but he's showing positive strides forward. And for the past two weeks now, Michelle has done 
pretty much nothing. Uh, he averaged less than three yards a carry uh, on Sunday night. Rex Burkhead took over the game as that lead back, uh, especially with James White out. Our heart goes after him dealing with some family issues. This was really a chance for Sony Michelle to be the guy, and he was kind of usurped by Rex Burkhead. And I can't help but wonder, given Burkhead's skill set, given James White's skill set, given J.J. Taylor's emergence, and given the fact that the short yardage back seems to be Cam Newton mm-hmm. in that 41 personnel, where does that leave Sony Michelle in the 2020 Patriots right now? Is this early stage? At least we're overreacting, of course. But like, what do you see him going out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he has never been given a fair shot with the Patriots in a very unfortunate way. I mean, first off, I have to say, this Patriots rushing attack outside of Cam Newton was terrible against yeah. the Seahawks. They had uh, 14 carries for 20 yards across Michelle Burkhead and J.J. Taylor. So no one was having success on the ground. Uh and you know what, Michelle had slightly more success than Burkhead. Uh, but I would say that when it comes to this Patriots rushing attack and using Sony Michelle, first off, the fact that they've never used him as a receiver makes it so and too easy for the defense to just kind of tee up on him and tackle him in the backfield, make sure that, like, oh, well, we'll just stack the box against this guy. And there's that theory that it helps the Patriots play action, doesn't play out in reality. So it's something that needs to change. But with regards to what his role is for the Patriots, I mean, I think that they're still going to rely on him to run the ball with, or, you know, however much success he has. I think they're going to count on him to say, you know what, get seven to ten touches a game. And he's going to lead the Patriots running backs and carries this year, you know, health permitting. He's going to lead the team in rushing yards. But it, it's going to be one of those seasons where, you know what, he's going to have... 700 800 yards from scrimmage maybe five to six touchdowns and it's going to just show that you know Patriots probably should have taken a running back in the first round I don't think anyone should take a running back in the first round honestly unless you have like a Saquon Barkley um, who tore his ACL last week Mm -hmm. one of the big victories out of this is that nobody got hurt on the Patriots I feel like half the league went down this past Sunday which is really really sad to see kind of expected um but yeah I mean I don't know I think that running backs are are very replaceable in the modern NFL I don't remember the last time the Patriots took a running back and extended him beyond his rookie contract they drafted him maybe James White's that guy but he's really more a receiver than a running back I don't want to call Sonny Michelle a bust but yeah I do think they're slowly kind of phasing him out of the offense and and that's fine um speaking of busts or not busts but maybe not expected because we all talked about the complete lack of tight end depth going into this game, going into the season, excuse me. Ryan Izzo was the lead tight end, which he's acted like. He's got a couple of grabs, and he's doing pretty well so far. But I don't know about you, Rich, but I expected the rookie tight ends to at least see a little more action than they're getting so far. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a little surprised that they haven't been given a little bit more opportunity just to snap here, snap there. Uh, but they're not even really seeing the field. Dalton Keene's been dealing with an injury, so that's why he hasn't really been suiting up much. But asiasi has been, you know, that second tight end in the goal line packages with those four tight ends, and that's about it. But you know what? Honestly, kind of kudos to Ryan Izzo because he's doing yeah. a very good job as a run blocker. That was kind of what he was touted for at, uh, coming out of college, where, you know what, he might be a 200-yard receiver <laughs> and, like, uh, an above average blocker and that is exactly who he is he's doing a very good job as that blocker um he's giving cam that opportunity to be a fourth target in this offense maybe even like honestly the fifth target behind the who whichever running backs out there and that's that's fine that is fine i, I just think that this patriots offense with cam 
will open up to a whole nother level if they have a reliable tight end receiver uh, because it gives them both a lot more flexibility and gives Cam one of his favorite targets who's the most productive is you know a tight end coming out of either the slot or in line so going up the seam and Izzo has made a couple nice grabs as you said but you know I, I would like to see a, a tight end go you know four for 40 over the course of a game and just give them that opportunity because that'll open up things for the running backs. It'll open up things for the receivers. Uh, not that they really needed too much help with passing the ball this past week. They didn't, but again, I, I agree with you. I'd like to see the tight ends get more involved. Belichick has always been looking for those dynamic, versatile tight ends. And I feel like when he has one or two, it really opens up the playbook. And I'd love to see a scenario where they can go into 41 personnel and then maybe motion two tight ends out wide and then totally screw with the defense that way because I personally have zero problem with the goal line play call with the oh. last two seconds of the game. That play had worked three for three before that. Uh, you're up against Bobby Wagner. He's almost guaranteed to go into the Hall of Fame. He blew the play up. Seahawks defense made a great play. For the third straight time, Pat Seahawks came down to a goal line stand, which is remarkable to me. Um, but I'd love to see a scenario where – there's a tight end in that foreground personnel, and that's not strictly a we're running it, you know we're running it, try and stop it scenario. I'd love to see some more versatility with that play eventually. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, they, they got that touchdown pass to Jakob Johnson there, but, like, that was notable because it was like, oh, they threw to the fullback. How unique. And it would be right. better if it was like, oh, there's, like, a 25% chance that they could do one of these four plays. And as opposed to, like, this is going to be the one time that, like, how we got you. And, like, I was watching that play, and, you know, if they, if they had drawn it up where Izzo – you know, he was kind of the point man at the at the blocking lane. And, like, if he had leaked out into the corner of the end zone, Cam would have had a wide open pass. And if they had drawn it up, maybe they'll do it later. But I think that this is uh, a situation where, uh, yeah, I mean, this was a great play call by the Patriots. And it was even better defense by the Seahawks. Like My one question with the Patriots was their decision to have Cam Newton run behind Jakob Johnson and rookie Michael Onwenu, uh at that uh, rushing lane. And so if, if you have a rookie, you know, late round tackle and you have an international player fullback who has very little experience, you have, you know, pretty savvy uh, veterans on the Seahawks. You know, Lano Hill, he's like a very much a depth safety for them, but he has experience. And then they have their, their, their rookie LJ Collier who blew it up. But specifically, as you said, Bobby Wagner just wrecked that entire play, made it so Shaq Mason couldn't pull and lead the way putting the the hand of this Patriots goal line package into very young and inexperienced blockers was a big risk and it just didn't pay off. It's true. The Patriots tried something 